Well, good afternoon again, everybody. I uh, hope you're all doing well this, uh, this Sunday afternoon. hope that uh, you are enjoying your bank holiday weekend, because it is a bank holiday weekend. We love a bank holiday weekend, don't we? So, as Ian was saying, we're continuing our series entitled Christianity is not... Dot, 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 dot. Really thinking about some of the... Uh, preconceptions, even misconceptions that people have about Christianity and what it's like. And as Ian was saying, today we're looking at Christianity is not anti-science. And Ian will put that up for us on the screen. Thank you, boss. Um, I want to show you this photo. Now, I know you'll be instantly familiar with this. This is, as it says on the screen there, the L.U. Thompson electric welding process. I know it was on the tip of your tongue. It was mine, I know. This is apparently, apparently, one of the most important inventions of the modern era. This is the machine that has allowed us to weld and make far more useful other machines. I, I know you know that. I, I knew it as well when I looked up, to be honest with you. To be fair, most of the rest of the list of what are the most important things invented in the last sort of century were things that you'd be more familiar with, perhaps like cars and computers and planes and those kind of things. But uh, science gives us lots of great things, uh, as, you, as you will know. Uh, that one, as I say, a bit of a surprise. But, hey, uh, the electrical fixation of atmospheric nitrogen was also a bit of an, one that uh, I wasn't quite sure what it actually meant and involved. Perhaps some of you can talk amongst yourselves and find out what that means afterwards, or let me know uh, afterwards. But let's take a bit of time, just in the seats where you are. As you might know, if you've been to cafe church before, uh, things are a bit more interactive. We like to get a bit of feedback from you. So just say, take some time where you're sitting and have a think about what you would say some of the most important inventions or discovery of science have been in the last century. Okay? Just to make it easy for you, let's not include things like planes and cars and computers. Okay? They're given. Let's get a bit into more things that are a bit more perhaps, you know, um, make a difference to you in an everyday basis or, or whatever it may be. So take some time and uh, have a chat amongst yourselves and then we'll see, see what you come up with. We'll also see who the scientists are as well because they're going to come up with some weird ones, aren't they? Let's be honest. Okay, let's go. Have a chat. I feel bad for, I feel bad for breaking in on you, to be honest with you. The, everyone's really getting into this. I can see some... Uh, some serious arguments breaking out around the room, actually. I don't, I don't know, uh, know quite what's going on. Anyway, okay, so, so let's, let's have it. Let's, um, don't make me pick on you. Come on, what are, what, are the, uh, what are some of the things you think are some of the best inventions? What, what, do, you, what do you think? Kettle. The kettle. <laughs> Wonder what? Electric kettle. Okay, okay. Electrical? Oh, coffee machine, yeah. <laughs> the invention of the coffee bean. Um, Sliced bread. But, but, you know, everyone says, you know, the best invention since sliced bread. You know, what was the best invention before sliced bread? You know, no one ever asks that, you know? Bread. Yeah, bread, bread. <laughs> nice. Yeah, <laughs> to, to slice the bread, yeah. 
What else? Come on, guys. What else? The flushing toilet. I like that one. Yes, very important. Kind of thing we don't always appreciate till we haven't got one. The, the glasses. Glasses, yeah, that's good. Penicillin. Yeah, there's a, there's a good one, yeah. Yeah, that's it. Everyone who, who thinks you should clean things out of your fridge, you see? There you go. Not necessarily. You never know what you might be missing out on. Could be discovering the next generation of antibiotics. Or, or not, more likely. <laughs> the internet. Yeah, the internet. And those guys are still around. I mean, can you imagine the... I forget that Jai, come on. Who, who are the guys who invented the internet? Come on. You're, you're our resident computer person. Don't you know? The, no, it wasn't Jai. But these guys are still around. I mean, they're, they're, they're sort of in their 40s. Yeah, you know, and he's thinking, if you invented the internet, you've seen this thing now. I mean, what must they be thinking? It's a quite incredible thing. Any others? I had a lot from this side, not so much from over here. Didn't they? Didn't they? Sat now for the bike. What would we do without them? Dinner? Mobile phones? Yeah. Anesthetic. Solar panels? Yeah, that's a good one. Google? Yeah. And, and other search engines, perhaps, to avoid advertising? Oh, no. It is the most common. Miss Margaret? Husbands. There you go. Yes, I would have. I would. I would have to agree with you. I would have to agree with you, Margaret. Absolutely. I'm not sure if that falls in the category of discovery or invention, but anyway, yeah. Anyway, yes, indeed, science has uh, discovered and created many useful things and marvellous things, indeed. And we are, uh, our life is, is much more comfortable and, and pain-free and uh, uh, far better because of because of some of them. But are are Christianity and science really at war? And that's often the way it's portrayed, isn't it? It's often the way it's portrayed in the media. Uh, newspapers love a, a good article about you know scientists says God is dead, a usual thing. Usually it's one paragraph out of a huge book and, and it's been just been taken out of out of context. Well, that was the only thing that that mattered in the book. Sometimes atheist activists will claim all science and all scientists deny that God exists. That science is fundamentally anti-Christian or indeed anti any kind of God. Uh, that the two are, are incompatible. You know, the two, two but up together. Often the media will say things like Christianity hates science or, or scientists because they're the enemy or or they're always winning arguments. Grr, nasty, pesky scientists. Ooh, we don't like them, kind of thing. Um, for the media, is it really for them about selling papers? Is it about selling their TV shows? I guess everybody's got their motivations for what they do. In the case of atheist activists, and to be fair, some Christian activists pulling the pulling the science is right, science is wrong card can often be about winning an argument, or at least that's that's how they see it. Can I suggest to you that, that this idea of, of war has been has been artificially encouraged? Having given some thought about this, I think that the, the two are talking about 
often talking about different things. The Bible is fundamentally talking about our relationship with God, our relationship with other people. Uh, trying to often answer the question, why has something happened or why does something happen? In terms of our, our human existence, science is often trying to answer the question, how? How does something happen? And so the two are not always looking at the same situation from the same way. They're looking at, if you imagine a, a crystal or a diamond, they're looking at different facets on the, on the crystal from different angles. Same crystal, different angles. I think the two coexist actually uh, very well. They're quite comfortable in the same worldview. If you know what I mean about worldview, how does everything work? Worldview. Uh, as long as we don't confuse their re- reason for being there. Many scientists have, or are, Christians. Uh, and some of these names took me back to my... Uh, uh, what is now known as GCSE, which now it was O-Levels at the time, people like uh, Kepler or Bacon, he, that wasn't the guy who invented Bacon, that was the guy who invented scientific knowledge, Copernicus, Pascal, Faraday and Kelvin. Uh, all those people were Christians, as well as being scientists who discovered great and useful things. Uh, I found surpri- There was a couple of names on there I found surprising as well. Names that people often quote almost as an argument against Christianity. Isaac Newton. Isaac Newton was a Christian. Maybe it was the apple thing going on. You know, apple, garden of Eden, dropping out of trees, gravity. Maybe you made the link. Don't know. Uh, René Descartes. René Descartes was a philosopher, best known for, philosopher, best known for saying, I think, therefore I am. Uh, he was also a scientist as well, which I didn't know. And he was also a Christian. Just after he said, I think, therefore I am, he went on to conclude... Uh, that with, he was pretty near certain that there was a God who had created everything. But people don't always remember that. They just remember, I think, therefore I am. Uh, Evert Albert Einstein, he of E equals MC squared, he said this. Uh, he said that science without religion is lame. Re- religion without science is blind, and he was very comfortable with the existence of both. He wasn't a Christian himself, but he did believe in a created universe. He once said to a young physicist, I want to know how God created this world. I'm not interested in this or that phenomenon in this, in this spectrum or in that element. What I want to know is God's thoughts. The rest are just details. Uh, but we're not just talking about dead folks. All the folks there were, I've mentioned were dead folks. Uh, Gerhard Ertl is a German physicist and professor at the, let me get this right, the Department of Physical Chemistry at the Fritz Haber Institute der Max Planck Gesellschaft in Berlin, Germany. See me afterwards if anybody needs German translation. I am not the man. Um, Ertl's research has laid the foundation for modern surface chemistry, apparently. Uh, he was awarded the 2007 Nobel Prize in chemistry for his studies of chemical processes on solid surfaces. I knew you knew that already. Uh, he's a Christian. He's a Christian guy. He very much uh, promotes his faith. A guy called William D. Phillips won the Nobel Prize in physics in 1997 with a couple of other guys 
for his contribution to laser cooling. He is quoted as saying, Rubidium is God's gift to Bose-Einsteinium condensates. <laughs> oh, how it trips off the tongue. Uh, whatever that means. Uh, even people in this room, dare I mention Dr. Claire Lovell for being very clever and uh, having a thesis in... Tell me what it was, Claire, again. I've totally forgotten. In what? But, but your thesis, your actual doctorate thesis was in... Friction welding. There you go. Anyone wants to know about friction welding afterwards? Dr. Claire Lovell is the woman for you. And I don't know about you, but I, I have personally made an extensive study of washing powder adverts. Uh, although, to be fair, it's not something I spend a lot of time actually watching. To be honest with you, I don't know how many blokes do. But I've always noticed that the advertisers in washing powder <laughs> stop giggling uh, it, I've always you put me off that but, but what I've always noticed is that the, a number of advertisers in things like washing powder companies, dental products still wheel out people in white coats on the advert, often with a clipboard as well, to say that their product is scientifically proven to be much better than somebody else's scientifically proven white washing powder. Newsflash, they're probably not real doctors and scientists, okay? They're actors and actresses, okay? And yet, in, in, in the modern world, there is, let, I, I, let's call it a, a cultural authority to science, okay? People think if it's scientific, it has authority. If it's scientific, it must be right. If it's a scientist talking about it, it must be correct. It's right. Uh, so, uh, often atheists have said religion is dangerous, it needs to be abolished, and so we're going to use science, and we're going to use scientific people as an authority for making statements. Uh, if an expert says there's no God, then who are we to argue? We naturally assume that a scientist has authority over their own area of expertise, but often over other areas of expertise that aren't necessarily what they're expert in. Did I say the word expert too many times there? Uh, yes, they are experts. They have great understanding. That understanding enhances our lives and it can make many marvellous discoveries and inventions and help us out. But it does not necessarily give them authority in areas. Authority comes from someone else or somewhere else if you are struggling with an expert always do remember that if you take the word and divide it into two it tells it exactly what it's about X is someone who has passed it and a spurt is a drip under pressure okay um, so but so I want to suggest to you that Christianity is not anti-science and science is not anti-Christianity the two actually can live together uh, very compatibly and very much in harmony. What I will say, going back to the line at the top there, though that there is a war going on. There is a war going on. There is a conflict and it has been raging for a very long time. But we'll talk about that in a moment.
Let's talk about Job. Uh, Job, uh, Hannah very beautifully read us that passage out of, out of Job. Actually, the next chapter is similar, asking again, God asking Job some sort of similar questions. If you know about Job, we, we have a phrase in English about the patience of Job. Job was a guy who had lost everything. He had lost absolutely everything. His family, his possessions, his health. And this particular passage that, that we read there, you might want to keep your, your finger in it, that particular passage um, comes after his friends and his, his wife have suggested various approaches to him to try to comfort him. Uh, in some cases, criticise him for how he's responded. And he's, he's rejected all that and after a lot of toing and froing and a lot of arguments, that sort of stuff, now God is speaking to Job. After doing a lot of listening, it's time for God to speak, and he speaks to Job, a guy who has lost so much. And we're all used to asking questions. You know, we, we, ask, we learn to ask questions very early on. Uh, ask the parents of any two-year-old. Uh, usually that question at that point is why? You know, why? 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 For quite a long time. Um, but we, we, as we grow older, we still have questions and we, and we ask questions about God or we think about questions about God. Uh, who is he? How did he make the earth? How did he make us? When did he make the earth? What is the universe like? Why does God allow suffering? And those are the kind of questions that, that Job was asking. Asking of his friends, asking of himself. And notice here God's response. Look, look there again at that passage if you've got the Bible open in front of you there. Look again how God responds to that. He doesn't respond by answering those questions directly. What instead he does is he asks some questions of his own. Instead of saying, I created you this way, or this is why you're suffering in this way, or ABC, exactly what happens. Uh, he's instead asked some questions directly, and has walked off with the Bible. Uh, let's briefly, briefly have, a, have a look at, at what some of them were there verse 4 where were you when I laid the earth's foundations or verse 12 have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place verse 17 have the gates of death been shown to you have you seen the gates of the shadow of death Verse 32, can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or lead out the bear with its cubs? The bear is a constellation. Or 35, do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you? Here we are. And all great teachers use that method, don't they? All great teachers will ask questions at times of their, of their students instead of answering your questions that they have directly. And that's what God is doing here. Instead of answering, answering Job's questions, he's instead asking questions that speak to Job's heart. He's interested in Job's heart 
and what's going on in it. And that really does get to the core of the issue. Job wanted to know who God is and what their relationship was. His heart was concerned with, why am I suffering? Who are you, God, to allow these things to happen to me? And so God answers his, his, his heart questions, what's happening in his heart. He answers them with, with rhetorical questions, questions where they're not expecting an answer. God does not expect Job to answer these questions because it's both the answers are obvious and also quite chastening in one way, you know, quite putting you in your place. Uh, it, it was a bit like when my, I used to say things to my mum like, uh, she'd say, why have you done whatever crime I'd just committed? And, she, and, and I'd say, well, uh, the reason I did it was because the other boys were doing it. And she would say to me, uh, and if the other boys put their hands in the fire, would you put your hands in the fire? That is a rhetorical question that leaves me exactly where she wanted me to be, which was knowing that I'd messed up and, you know, in my place again. These are the same kind of questions from God. God is saying, you know the answer to this. You actually know this stuff. Come on, who are you to answer these kind of questions? Let's look at it differently. If you just flick over the page there onto, into Job chapter 40. Flick over the page. Kind of God sums it up there in verse 2. Or verses 1 and 2. The Lord said to Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. And then Job actually does, does answer God, but we'll talk about that in a moment. Um, and we want answers to the same sort of questions, don't we? As Job, I'm sure that many of you have ask those kind of questions either to yourself if not directly to God Job had had an outrageously bad time many of you have in the past or may currently be having outrageously bad times and if you could sum up his questions it's you know what's it all about God where did I come from why is this happening what's going to happen when I die what's happening right now why is this suffering taking place and and if you're like me, you've had those same questions. And you, even if you don't actively try and sit down and, and figure them out and then think about them, you will have those questions. How do I know that? Because, because we have to. We have to at least have some kind of understanding of that as we live our lives. Uh, the, way in which we, the way in which we think about big questions like this determines how we live our lives. Even if the answer is, I don't know, it determines how we live our lives. For example, if you believe that God has created all people, if you believe that, then that changes the way in which you, you live your life. It changes the way you operate. You, you people have great value. Your attitude towards uh, your appearance, other people's appearance, your own worth to 
even to subjects like abortion and designer babies and those kind of things are totally different. If you believe that God has created all people, as opposed to you don't know or you don't believe that. And God often answers our questions in the same way. God answers the scientists' questions in the same way. But then Job answers God. Look there, look there with me in uh, chapter 40, verse 4. Job says, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer twice. I will say no more. The problem is, honestly, if I'm being honest, the problem is I'm not sure I would have given that answer. I'm not sure I do give that answer. I, I think that in my own pride and in my own, my own desire to be, maybe it's, it's the influence of the culture or, or it's just my own heart, too often there's a danger that I would say, no, hold on, I, I know that one. I, I know the answer to that one. Just give me a moment. I think I know what the answer might be. Or, or, or don't worry. Just, just give me an hour and I can figure it out and I can find out what it is. Instead of like Job saying, I'm not going to say anything else. I'm just going to shut up. I think too often some of the desires of our culture and, and our scientists is to try and, for whatever reason, to try and answer in that kind of way. God is beyond our ability to understand. Yes, we can know his heart, Yes, we can know a bit about what he's like. We can know about things like just his justice and his mercy and his love, but we cannot at least yet look him in the face. That's a problem because God wants us to know what he's like. He doesn't need us to know what he's like, but it pleases him. It pleases him that we should know what God is like. And so from the beginning of time, God's been doing the kind of things we're talking about in Job, you know, running the planet, creating things, sustaining things, controlling what we sometimes call nature, uh, incorrectly, the weather, the earth, the plants, the animals, the whole universe. And yet, we see that and we don't believe in God. It's still the same world. God's still doing all this stuff right now that he was doing when Job was alive. Uh, But we don't believe. We are too rebellious, perhaps too arrogant. We want to run our own universe or even we, we want to be God. And so God was like, okay, I'm not going to leave it there. I'm going to do something about that. Instead of firing away, instead of staying far away, he drew near to us. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to earth, to the earth he created, not as the Lord of creation, as a little baby, not to lord it over us, but to die for us. So that we might finally, truly understand the heart of God And so he did. He died for us. And he rose again. And our response to that, Job shows us a great response. If you turn over again another page to to chapter 42 of Job, in verses 5 and 6. Chapter 42 and verses 5 and 6. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore I despise myself and I repent in dust and ashes. What he's saying is, Lord, I believe in you, God, I believe in you, I believe in what you've done, I believe in who you are. And my response to that is to say, 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the way I've lived my life. I want to live a different life. I want to live in the light of who you are. If you've got questions about that idea, or you want to know more about that, if you want to know more about what God, who God is, what God has done for you, we'd love to tell you more. Please feel free afterwards to come and talk to me or to perhaps the Christian friend who brought you or to the Christian who's sitting next to you. Anyway, let's wrap that up. How would you answer those questions? If chapters 38 and 39, if God was asking you those questions, how would you answer them? Like me, would you too often perhaps want to try and Give some smart alley cancer. I don't know. Is Christianity anti-science? No, I do not believe they are. I think they are totally compatible. There is lots of science, there's so much of science and there's quite a lot of Christian thought too and, th- and both of those things are changing all the time, it's worth saying. Yeah, both these things change all the time. Uh, there's certainly some tensions between the two, there's tensions within them from time to time, that is true. And history, if we're not careful, can distort some of their tensions. But I reject the idea that science requires the defeat of Christianity. And I reject the idea that somehow the progress of scientific research is only possible at the expense of undermining the Christian faith. There is a difference. Of course there is a difference between how and why. Science explains how very well, but cannot answer why always. Christianity tells us why, but it's less worried about the how. I can put the kettle on and various laws that I've forgotten, perhaps the law of thermodynamics, someone will correct me afterwards, detect when it boils, but it doesn't tell me why I put the kettle on. He doesn't tell me that I wanted to make a cup of tea for one of my friends. Differences between science and Christianity are often invoked when really the issues at hand are philosophy or ethics or politics or even just having to change. But there is a war going on. It's not between Christianity and science. But there is a war that's raging. And to be clear, the battleground is your own heart and your own mind. And that is where the battle is going on. It's between what God has designed for you, the great things that God has got for you, and what the world about us, what the devil, and even what our own desires are. God wants you to have a healthy relationship between you and him. A healthy relationship between you and other people. The devil wants a world where the devil is God and we are nothing. The world wants a world where our momentary desires are instantly fulfilled without any responsibility. And we desire a world where... Well, you can tell me what you desire. What kind of world you want. A guy called Stephen Matson wrote that to be a Christian is to embrace knowledge, critical thinking, innovation, new ideas and the truths they revealed. Christianity is an issue for your heart. Even it's a war for your heart. 
It is not a science experiment. It is not a theory to be proved. It is not a machine to be run. It's not even an argument to be won. It's a life to be saved. It's a soul to be saved. It's your life to be saved. It's your soul to be saved. Let's pray together.